I'm Jeff Cohen. Yaakov Vashalevich inspires others through his personal story and his music. But first, he had to find his own path to Jewish observance, which required tremendous sacrifice by a loved one, in this case his mother, the subject of his song Akeda. Through tremendous perseverance and some timely encounters with caring rabbis to facilitate his journey, Yaakov ultimately found his way. Yaakov, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. And it's very exciting to have a musician on. I know we're going to play some of your clips later because music is such a big part of what you do. But before we get to that, let's learn a little bit about the person behind the music. And even before we talk about your story, I think it would help to set some context if you talk about your parents first, where they came from in their own journey. Sure. So my mother was born in Częstochowa, Poland in 1946, right after the war. Both of her parents were the Holocaust survivors in Częstochowa. My grandmother was actually from Opoczno near Lodge, and she was in the Lodge ghetto, and then she was taken from the Lodge ghetto to Częstochowa, Hasag labor camp. And my grandfather was from Częstochowa, and he spent the whole war from the beginning until the end in Częstochowa. My grandmother and my grandfather were married to different spouses before the war. They both lost their families during the war. And during the war, they met, and when the Russians came to liberate the Jewish people there, they stayed in Częstochowa, and they got married. And a year later, my mother was born. And on your father's side? And my father was not Jewish, but um, my mother was growing up in Częstochowa, and the idea after the war was to create a place for the Holocaust survivors and their children to be able to get together, spend time together with the Polish Jews. And organization was created called the Social and Cultural Association of Jews in Poland. And it had different branches throughout Poland. The main office was in Warsaw. Częstochowa, our city, was one of the cities that had this place where the Jews were able to come and spend time together and feel safe and good with other Jews. So my mother would go with her parents and the children would play and learn Yiddish and different cultural things, holidays. So whatever her parents did after the war, even though they both came from religious families before the war, whatever they did after the war, that's what my mother knew. Later on, that's what she taught me. But her journey started uh, in that uh, Jewish center. Now, the way you characterized your mother growing up surrounded by Jewish people, you also referenced that your father wasn't Jewish. So I think to set the stage for how you come into this world, this would be a good time to explain how your parents met and came together and what that meant for your early childhood. Eventually, my mother left, actually, Częstochowa. She went to a university in Warsaw. She came back to take care of her parents. And because of the you know, famous Kelts pogrom after the war and uh, other events that took place in Poland, the Jewish communities in Poland were getting smaller. And so in Częstochowa, the population, Jewish population was getting smaller. And uh, eventually this Jewish uh, organization that had this branch 
in our city said that because it's so small, the population of Jewish people in our city, we have to close it down. But there were still people living there and they wanted this to continue. So they said, we don't have money to pay, but if someone volunteers to continue for free, we'll continue. So my mother raised her hand and she said, I'll continue, I'll run it. And for 17 years, she did it for free. And because of that, it continued and people had their place where they uh, were able to get together and learn. And eventually my mother became the head of the Jewish community and she did that for 43 years. Wow, that's uh, quite a commitment to being focused on one thing and helping the Jewish people. It almost seems a little counterintuitive that over the course of that journey, she marries someone who's non-Jewish. And I just want to bring that in, you know, whatever details you want to share about it, because I think it's important to explain your starting point of having parents from different religions so that we can set the stage for how far you're going to come later in the interview. Right. So when she was already at the head of the cultural center in Częstochowa, she put an ad in the uh, regular uh, newspaper in, in the, for the city, for people, for anyone who, who wants to come um, to see the Yiddish theater performing from Warsaw in our city, in Częstochowa. And one of the people that came to this um, performance was a man who, after the performance, started talking to my mother and later on became my father. So now you come into the world, a Jewish mother, a non-Jewish father, how is it being explained to you as a little kid what your religion is? Are your parents talking to you about this? So when I was about five years old, I was in the non-Jewish preschool and uh, there was no Jewish schools, no Jewish preschools in our city. So I was sent to a public regular elementary. So when I came home at the age of five, I told my mother that we are going to church the next day. And uh, I asked my mother not to give me meat to eat because we're going to church and the priest is going to pour ashes of our heads. So my mother said to me, my Polish name is Kuba, K-U-B-A, Kuba, I have something to tell you, sit down. If you don't want to eat meat, no problem. I will not give you meat to eat, but you will not go to church. If you want to go to church, um, your father, maybe when he comes home, he will take you, but with me, you will not go to church. So I asked my mother, why not? So my mother said, because you are Jewish. I am Jewish, and therefore you are Jewish. Your father is not Jewish. So from that moment on, I knew I'm Jewish. And uh, I didn't know what it means to be Jewish. My mother also told me not to tell anyone that I'm Jewish. And of course, what does a child do when it's told to keep a secret? I told my friends in, in school, and um, unfortunately, the next day, uh, kids were calling me a dirty Jew, and that taught me not to share this information with anyone anymore. And uh, it was not easy, knowing that I'm Jewish at the same time, not knowing what it means to be Jewish, and, and I have to hide this fact. But I knew I'm Jewish, and therefore, I decided to follow in that path of, of Judaism, because if I'm Jewish, I'll follow in that uh, Jewish path. So as you find out that you're Jewish, but you haven't had much exposure yet, is your mom doing some things within the home, some of the customs, some of the holidays that gives you a taste of it at that early age? Because my mother ran this Jewish center in Częstochowa, um, so I would go occasionally with my mother there and uh, I would see Hanukkah, Pesach. My mother made different holidays for the people there. 
so I did grow up seeing those holidays, but I grew up without any Jewish friends. Most of the people there were older people. And so I didn't really feel that comfortable there. I knew little things from my mother, from this Jewish center, but I wanted to learn more. And actually, there was a summer and winter Jewish camp in Poland for Polish Jews to be able to come together and learn about Judaism that started in, uh, at the end of the 80s at the Lauder Foundation. Ronald S. Lauder is the head of the World Jewish Congress today, uh, some famous Estee Lauder makeup company. But he wanted to be famous for something of his own. So he created this Lauder Foundation in different uh, European countries. One of them was Poland. And together with Rav Haskell Besser from Agudas Israel, together they decided to help the remaining Polish Jews in Poland by creating this Lauder Foundation, Jewish summer camps, and eventually Jewish school in Warsaw and also Wrocław. And so this Jewish camp was another source for my Jewish education besides my mother. So I'm thinking about the age that you're approaching. This is usually when a boy would have a bar mitzvah. And I learned a little bit about your background, that you have a rather interesting bar mitzvah and bris story around this time, if you can share that with our listeners. Sure. I was in public school, and I was 12 years old, and my mother started to think about bar mitzvah. So she called Rabbi Michael Schudrich, who at that time was the, the rabbi of two big cities in Poland, Warsaw and Lodz. And today he's the chief rabbi of Poland. He knew me from the Lauder camp, summer camp. And she asked him if he can prepare me for my bar mitzvah. He said, sure, but does he have a bris? So she said, no, because at that time there was no uh, Moel uh, living in, in Poland. And my mother didn't think about that. She was honest. She said, no, he doesn't have a bris. So Rabbi Shudrich said, no, he has to have a bris first. So he called a famous Moel, Rabbi Fisher from Muncie, New York, who goes around the world to different countries and gives brism to older people in Russia and uh, one of the countries, also Poland. And he asked him if he can come to Poland. And there is a boy, 12 years old, that needs to have a bris. So he said, sure. And Rabbi Shudek told us to travel from Częstochowa to Warsaw, three hours by train. And so we did. We went to Warsaw, and when we got there, we were told that something bad happened with the airplane, but Rabbi Fisher couldn't come, so we went back to our city. Uh, a week later, we got a phone call again from Rabbi Shudrich, that this time Rabbi Fisher for sure will come back. Okay, so again, took a train, three hours to Warsaw, and um, we got there. But before we went to the synagogue where the bris was supposed to take place, the Nozick Synagogue in Warsaw, we entered the Yiddish theater. And my mother saw her friend there, and uh, she was surprised. What are we doing uh, in Warsaw from Częstochowa? And uh, my mother told her, my son is going to have a bris. She was shocked. She took me on the side and she said, what are you doing? Don't do this. You know, it's like uh, chopping uh, of your arm or whatever. She was trying to scare me. But I said, listen, I'm a Jewish boy. If a Jewish boy is supposed to have a bris, I want to have a bris. So we left the Jewish theater and we went to the synagogue and Rabbi Fisher was there with Rabbi Shudrich waiting for us. 
and um, I entered the synagogue, the room at the end of synagogue, where the bris will be taking place. A few minutes later, Hasidim from nowhere entered the synagogue, and it got very loud. A lot of them, and it was my first time seeing Hasidim. I never saw Hasidim before in Poland. Who are those people? I don't know. And uh, one of them came closer to see what's happening. And and because my father wasn't around, Rabbi Shudrich asked this Hasid if he wants to be my sandek. So he agreed to do that. Usually sandek holds a baby. Here is a bigger baby. <laughs> so he couldn't help me, but he held my head. And they asked me if I want to change my name. Well, I didn't know what it means. I said, I already have a name. So they didn't give me a different name. But what's interesting is that when I was born, and my mother didn't know if I would be a girl or a boy. So she said, if, if it's a boy, she will name me after her father, Yanko, Jacob, Kuba. But uh, she didn't know uh, what name to give me for my girl. But I came out and she named me after her father. Uh, a Polish name, Kuba, Kobi, Jacob, Mianko. So later on, years later, I found out from the Sandek, from this Hasid, that he wanted to give me a name, a Jewish name, Yaakov. He didn't know my name. So I already had Yaakov, and it just uh, shows that uh, this was the name I was supposed to have. But uh, we danced afterwards. I don't know how I was able to dance, but yes, I had a bris. So I've learned over time in doing these interviews that when someone unexpectedly comes into your life, it's actually Hashem putting someone in your life at just the right time. So I have a feeling that this Sandak is going to be more than just someone involved in the bris and to play a more prominent role in your life. So take us into the post-bris world of what's going on as you're maybe now starting to explore Judaism more and are you building a relationship with this rabbi? So actually, after the bris, the Sandak wasn't to keep in touch with me. His name is Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Naishlos. And he thought to himself, Torah, he needs to learn Torah. But there was no yeshivas in Poland. And so he decided that he will get in touch with someone that knows me. And he took my phone number and he went back to where he was from, Manson, New York. And we went back to Częstochowa. Sometime later, we got a phone call from him. He wanted to know if there is a Jewish school in Poland, if I can maybe go there. So to make the story short, we moved to Warsaw, and I was able to study there in Jewish school. And he was the one helping me to study by Judaism. I myself wanted to learn. I just didn't know where and when and how. But uh, because Rabbi Fisher, the moral, missed the plane the first time, I was able to meet this Sandek that helped me to move to Warsaw. So the story could have ended where you get to Warsaw and you find exactly what you're looking for, the education you want, a Jewish community that you want. But I know that that's not where you're doing the interview from. So something must have then happened that takes you out of Warsaw. So like, what's that next moment for you? I actually um, forgot to mention my bar mitzvah. If I can go back after the bris, I went back to Częstochowa. I was still in public school and the bar mitzvah took place actually in different country in Moldova. Kishinev. The reason for that was because there was a rabbi who would come to the Lauder summer camp in Poland from Borough Park to teach about Yiddishkeit. He had a yeshiva there in Moldova. And after being in touch with Rabbi Shudrich, they decided that I should have a bar mitzvah there. My mother came and uh, she stayed in a girls' school there and I stayed in a boys' school. 
and I had my bar mitzvah. And they wanted me to stay actually there in that yeshiva there. But my mother would have to go back to Poland to work. I didn't want to stay by myself. And they knew that I like music. So they tried to convince me to stay, to get, get me a, a, a private music uh, teacher. But I said, no, I want to go back with my mom. So I went back to Częstochowa public school. I had a bris, I had a bar mitzvah. And now I got an invitation, me and my mother, to come to Warsaw for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And this invitation was from Rabbi Shudrich. But this rabbi from Borough Park, Rabbi Herschel Lieber, every year he goes to Poland to daven for the Yom Yom Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, in the Nozick Synagogue in Warsaw. So they invited me and my mother to come to Warsaw for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. After Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, someone told me that I should speak to Rabbi Shudrich. Maybe he will help me to move to Warsaw to learn in the Jewish school there. So he will. He said he will see what he can do. And so between him and the Sandek and this rabbi from Borough Park, they made it happen that I was able to move to Warsaw and attend the Jewish school there. Over there, I started to keep Shabbos. At some point, I decided to eat only kosher food, and uh, it wasn't easy. Because one day, my mother made me a soup. And I said, I'm sorry, mom, I can't eat this soup. Why not? Because it's not kosher. So it was not easy. But eventually, my mother accepted that this is what I want to do in my life. I want to be observant. I just felt this was the right thing to do. Uh, I wanted to live life. I'll be halacha. And so I studied uh, with a private teacher there. And uh, so I learned that I have to eat kosher. Eventually, I got a phone call from the Sandek, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Naishlos, who was coming to Warsaw. And he invited me to come with him and other Hasidim to Lezhensk, for the yard side of Ravel Melech Lezhensk. And I didn't know what this means, but this was an opportunity to see him. So I said, sure. And he sent a private driver to come to pick me up from Warsaw, who took me to some place in Poland where the bus full of Hasidim was waiting for me. And we went to different, actually, places. Before we ended up in Lezhensk, we went to different places, different cemeteries. I didn't know what this all means. I was coming with them. They were reading something from a book. Now I know it was Tehillim. Eventually, we ended up in Lezhensk, and again, I, I saw so many Hasidim I never saw, and um, it was just amazing to see thousands of Hasidim singing, dancing. But after the Yotzer of El Melech of Lezhensk, we went back to Warsaw, and before I got out from the bus, this Rabbi Yaakov Yosef he didn't speak good English, and I didn't know much of English neither. So we tried to communicate with broken English, both of us. But he drew a picture of a matzah on a paper, and I understood that he wants me to come to his house in America for Pesach. So I said, thank you. But of course, I didn't know, you know how I will pay for a ticket. But I thanked him, and uh, we parted. And eventually, I got a phone call that I can come to America to his house for Pesach because he sent a ticket to Rabbi Shudrich for me, and I am able to come to his house for Pesach. Which I did. It was a very different Pesach from the Pesach that I remember from my mother's Jewish center. 
the mothers say there it took maybe an hour or two. This one took, I don't know, five hours, six hours until the middle of the night. But it was great. And uh, afterwards, before I was going back to Poland, I decided to visit this rabbi in Borough Park, Rabbi Lieber. And I told him that I'm this in, I'm in this Jewish school in Warsaw, louder school, and I'm about to graduate, and there's no Jewish high school there, no yeshivas, and I want to continue to be religious. But if there's no Jewish high school, that means I have to go to public high school, and we're in Gamka in Poland, it's not safe. So I just didn't know what to do. So I told him that, and he said, okay, I will see, maybe I can find you a yeshiva, either in Israel maybe in England, maybe in America. So I went back to Warsaw until I graduated and I didn't apply for any high schools because I trusted this this rabbi will help find yeshiva for me to go to. Actually, that's what happened. I got a phone call from Rabbi Shudrich that Rabbi Lieber found me a yeshiva in America and I can leave Poland and I can go to yeshiva in America. As you're telling this story, I'm seeing now you have this wonderful opportunity at the same time I referenced in the introduction the sacrifice that your mom would make, so it's seeming to set up this idea that you going to America could create some distance for you. We also are seeing over the course of what you're saying that your mom is like the prominent caretaker in your life and you're going further and further into Judaism. So was she really the primary person as opposed to your father during your upbringing? Because I would think if they were both very involved, he might have had some opinions about your exploration of Judaism. It's kind of a two-part question. What's his role throughout all this exploration? And then how do you get to the point of telling your mom, it's one thing to go for a Pesach later, now I'm thinking of kind of going there full-time to continue my studies? Very good question. So actually, my, my parents didn't live together. So I, I grew up only with my mother. My father would occasionally come visit. So it was just my mother, and she was making the decisions, or at some point I was making the decisions. And as far as finding your way to America and having that conversation with your mom, I would think she would be really torn. She could see the opportunity for you to further your education, but at the same time, it's just the two of you. And what is that going to mean for you to have so much separation? So when I came back from America after the Pesach that I spent by the Sandek, I told my mother that uh, I would like to go to Yeshiva. And that would mean that I have to leave Poland. Can I leave Poland? Can I go to Yeshiva? And my mother wouldn't answer me. She said, oh, we'll talk later. And every time I would bring up this topic, she would just change conversation. Of course, it was not easy for her to let me go, the only child. But when I got this phone call that I can go to America, to Yeshiva, my mother said, if you want to go, go. Because she knew this will be good for me. It's important to me. And she wanted me to get that Jewish education, what she wasn't able to give me. And that's why she also took me to this Jewish summer and winter camp in Poland so I can learn. And now this opportunity came, I can leave and I can go to yeshiva to really study. So she, she agreed to it. And where did you land and what's it like suddenly being thrown into yeshiva with, I would think, boys who've been doing this since they were four or five years old and you've gotten some exposure in Poland, but nothing like what some of the boys are getting in yeshiva. So what was it like when you landed? Where did you go? And what was that experience like being the new kid? I landed at the JFK in New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the yeshiva that uh, Rabbi Lieber 
found me was a Bob of Yeshiva, Hasidic Yeshiva in Borpak. Until today, I don't know why he thought this would be a good idea, but somehow I ended up there. And my Chavrusa, first Chavrusa that I learned with was Rav Shulam Kessler, a Bob of a Chassid, and uh, we made a deal. He told me that if I teach him Polish, he'll teach me Yiddish. I don't know how much Polish he actually learned. I think I learned more Yiddish than he learned Polish. But I uh, picked up some Yiddish. And I learned some Gemara with him. But I never learned t- Torah before. So I didn't know much. And so eventually Rabbi Lieber realized that this wasn't a good place for me. And so he sent me to Baltimore, uh, Talmudical Academy of Baltimore, Yeshiva High School. And I was 15 years old at the time. And I had a meeting with Rabbi Tzvi Teichman, who was the uh, Menahel principal. And he asked me some questions. He asked me, do you know who Avraham was? Sarah, do you know who, who Yitzchak's wife was? Uh, Simple questions on, on Chumash. I had no idea. First time I heard these names. So he said, okay, I have an idea. We'll put you in the second grade. We'll sit with seven-year-old boys and you learn Chumash from the beginning. And that's what I did. They got me a big desk. And I learned in the second grade. My rabbi was by Brule. And I remember he used to teach with a tune. And I remember when I said my first passing in my life, out loud with that tune, all the kids were clapping for me. So that felt good. So is it like exciting and humbling at the same time? It was very humbling, but I wanted to learn. And if this was the way it needs to be, then I accepted it. And uh, second grade uh, took a half a year. I was there for half a year. The next half of the year I spent in fourth grade learning Mishnayos for the first time. And eventually I moved up to sixth grade. I learned Gemara for the first time. In the eighth grade, my rabbi was Rabbi Yehiel Spiro. And eventually I graduated a uh, 10th grade and 12th grade. Eventually I graduated, I like to joke, in, in four years I graduated uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school. <laughs> Now let's go back to your mom for a moment who made this sacrifice so you could pursue your education. Does she get to see the fruits of your labor and, and come to your graduation and see how far you've come? So of course I kept in touch. I called my mother almost every day and uh, wrote letters, but it was not easy not seeing my mother whole year. But I would go back uh, during winter and summer, eventually just summers. It was not easy being away from my mother. It was not easy for my mother to be alone. But uh, eventually, I uh, came time for my high school graduation. I invited my mother, of course, to come. She came. I actually spoke at my graduation, and I uh, spoke actually first in Polish. I asked the permission uh, that I would like to thank my mother first in Polish, and I spoke to my mother, thanking her for allowing me to leave. And then I spoke in English, so everyone understood what I said. <laughs> And of course, everyone was crying and uh, it was was beautiful. But then she had to go back. And what do you decide to do now after graduation? You're, you're a high school graduate. You've gotten that tour education. So what's next? Do you stay in the United States? Do you go back? What's your next move? I wanted to continue learning. Um, so I had some options uh, for a base medrash 
in Eretz Yisrael. I really wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, but because I was already 19 years old, I was a little bit behind because of uh, staying uh, in those lower grades. So I didn't graduate at 18, I graduated at 19. So instead of going to Eretz Yisrael, I went to Shoyoshuv, uh, Yeshiva in Farakwe, based Madrash. And at the same time, I also started going to college, Turo College. And uh, I was in Shoyoshuv, studying in Shoyoshuv actually for nine years. Now, there's something I said in the introduction about you also being a musician, and we haven't talked about that at all. So how does music take on a more prominent role in your life? You know, everything that uh, I share with you, you know, I see Yad Hashem in everything. And uh, it's unbelievable that... um, in the summer camp in Poland, there was a person who would come from America to play guitar. His name is Jona Buchstein. He taught Jewish songs to us there in camp. And one of the songs that became my, my first favorite song was Mode Ani. And I would sing it everywhere, even my uh, public non-Jewish preschool in Poland. And later on, when I ended up in Shoyoshuf, I heard someone singing that song and I told him, oh, it was my favorite song when I was growing up in Poland. So he said, you know, you know who composed that song? And he said, no, oh, his name is Rav Shmuel Brazil. And he's actually a rabbi here in Shoyoshif. I couldn't believe it. And uh, right away I went looking for him. I found him and I told him the story. Actually, I became very close with him. And eventually when he left to open a yeshiva, Ziv HaTorah in Eretz Yisrael, uh, and his son, Yankee Brazil, became my rabbi. I mentioned to him that I composed a little bit, and he encouraged me to continue composing. And I uh, decided to teach myself how to play guitar. Eventually, um, I decided to go out and play guitar for people, to make people happy. And actually, this was, in a way, trying to give back what I got in the camp in Poland to be able to misameach and make people happy through music. And that's one of the things I'm doing today is uh, I go out and I try to play guitar and sing for people. So we've been talking about your music, but let's bring it to life for our listeners. I want to play a couple of your songs. Let's start with Nigun of Unity. Now, this is an audio-only podcast, so our listeners can't see what I just saw, but when that clip came on, you closed your eyes and you're swaying, and it's like you were in the song, which means it must have some significant meaning for you. So what's the story behind that song? How did it come about? <laughs> so this nigan I composed uh, when I was in Shoyashuv, and um, I didn't know what to, what to do with this nigan. One day... Rabianki Brazil told me, you know, you have this nigan, and Eitan Katz also studied in Shoyashuv. So Rabianki Brazil told me, go to Eitan, introduce yourself, tell him you compose, uh, tell him you compose music, and maybe he has some ideas for you. Um, so, so that's what I did. I, I went over to him, 
and uh, introduce myself. I told him I'm a, a composer. I think uh, I have this niggin. Would you, would you like to listen to it and tell him what you think? So sure, send it to me. Okay. So I sent it to him. Uh, he liked it. And since then, we, we've been uh, talking uh, occasionally here and there when I saw him in, in, in Shoyashuv. And we became good friends. And uh, I originally wanted to record it with him. But uh, actually, what happened was he was actually making Aliyah. And I got married uh, and uh, moved to Mansi. So we didn't, uh, we didn't keep in touch anymore. Uh, we lost that touch. But uh, time came that I said to myself, I really want to record it. So I found someone here with a studio in, in Pomona, uh, New York, not far from where I live. And so I reached out actually to his brother, uh, Shlomo Katz, who agreed to actually be part of it. And he does the harmonies on the Nigan. And I called it the, the Nigan of Unity, the Agdus. That is so beautiful. And let's play one more clip from a song called Los Avoshi. That song is just full of joy. It almost seems like it has like a little country twang to it also. What, what's behind that song? Wow. So this, this song is actually very meaningful to me. And I never shared the story behind it with anyone. It was actually right when COVID started. And this niggin came to me without any words on Purim morning. That Purim, when everyone was told already not to go out to shul, but it was Purim, so I was happy. And and this niggin came to me, and and it was a happy tune. And I started singing it, and I recorded it on my on my recorder. And the next day, Shushan Purim, me and my wife hired someone to to come to our house to be a nanny and a cleaning lady. And we had a daughter, half-year-old, and I was at work, and my wife actually came to my workplace, and we were standing next to each other, and we got a phone call from that nanny that we should quickly come back home because um, something happened to our daughter. This lady was giving a bath to our daughter, and by mistake, instead of cold water, um, the hot water uh, ended up on, on our baby and got a lot of burns and so so we rushed home and of course my daughter needed to be taken to the hospital and we spent weeks in hospital and uh, right before Pesach our daughter was free to go came home and so it, it took time for her to heal but thank God Hashem she's well today 
she's four years old and full of life and and and, and happy and dancing and singing so Baruch Hashem. but uh, at some point i remembered this nigan that came to me before this happened i said to myself i have to use this nigan as a nedava as a present as a hakar satov to to hashem for uh, healing her daughter and so I decided to put the words from Shabbos Davening. It's a, a beautiful and, and touching story. And thank you for sharing it exclusively with us for the first time. I appreciate you giving us the story behind the song. In that answer, you talked about your wife and your child. But what we don't know is how your wife came into your life. And I think from what I know about you, it has something to do with almost moving to Israel. So maybe you can talk a little bit about thoughts that maybe you're going to go to Israel. and Maybe how a special someone changed that plan. Yes. So after I finished my studies in Shoyoshuv, I was informed of my mother's passing. My mother passed away in 2017. It was my last year in Shoyoshuv, ninth year. So I had to go back to Poland and to the Shiva. And when I came back, I decided to make Aliyah. They had to do also with uh, with my immigration status. I, I was on a student visa, and uh, in order to stay in America, I need to have a green card. And I was already done studying in yeshiva. I really wanted to, to get married. I wanted to start working. But in America, without a green card, without a working permit, I, I, I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to get married because the girls didn't want to date someone who doesn't, uh, can't work. So it wasn't easy. So I said to myself, okay, if I can't stay in America, it's hard for me to find a wife and, and uh, I'm not able to work. I'm going to make Aliyah. And that's what I decided to do. I applied Benefesh Benefesh. And uh, they were asking me questions, and uh, some of the questions were ridiculous. Do I have a picture of my uh, grandmother or grandfather during the war? <laughs> Most of the people didn't have any, any pictures, anything with them during the war, and uh, so I didn't have a proof of that. Yeah. I needed proof of being Jewish, and so I provided letters and different proofs, but this I didn't have, so I wasn't approved for Aliyah. It didn't make sense to me just because of I didn't have a picture of my grandparents during the war. But then I understood why I wasn't Prophetia. Because soon after that I met a girl and we dated. I was actually hired to play at someone's birthday party and uh, our mutual friend uh, invited her friend to be there also. So she was like the Shatchan. And then uh, after we met, we, we oh, uh, this was Thursday, for Shabbos, I went to Mansi, to this family who would host uh, people by their Shabbos table. And one of the guests there was this girl. I couldn't believe it. On Mansi Shabbos, we went out. And a few weeks later, we got married. And so where do you decide to settle? And just tell us a little bit about her background compared to yours, like we have a pretty good sense of this growth journey that you've been on. What was her background coming to the marriage and you know, where are you settled now together? She's from Brooklyn. She was actually in Eretz Israel and uh, she had to come back from, for some reason. And that's how we met. Uh, we, otherwise we would miss each other because I was making Aliyah and, and she had to come back to America. With my Aliyah, it didn't work out. And today we live in, in Pomona, uh, New York, Mansi area, and I work for 
special needs organization and I do music on the side. There's been so many twists and turns in terms of where you lived, the sacrifices family members had to make to get you where you wanted to be. What do you think now looking back on where your story started? I'm, I'm picturing that story you told about being four or five years old and finding out that you're Jewish for the very first time and feeling like you had to hide it to now sitting in the United States with all these years of Torah education, a wife, a family, and really living you know, an observant life. What do you think about that whole journey now that you look back on it? Like I mentioned before, I, obviously I saw Yad Hashem in everything that happened and everything happened for a reason. The right people and the right time were part of it, of this whole story. But it's a journey that is still continuous. And even trying to understand which community I should live in, I myself am as a religious person, where do I fit in? It's a still ongoing challenge and a struggle. I don't really belong anywhere. It's hard for me to belong anywhere because I'm about Shuva. When I was in Bobov, in this Hasidic community, I was questioning, am I a Hasid? And I was in Yeshiva High School in Baltimore, am I Litfish? In Bell School of Jewish Music in YU, am I modern? Where do I fit? Maybe somewhere in between. And and if you ask me, who am I? I'm just Yaakov. <laughs> Every single day when I wake up, I'm about Shuva and I choose to stay on that path and learn and connect to Hashem in my own way. And that's what I try to do. <laughs> Let me just say from one Balshuva to another, I understand that feeling of how do I fit in, but you get the fruits of your labor in seeing your kids grow up with it, that they're getting it from the beginning and you feel like even if there's some discomfort for you, your kids are going to feel like they're part of the club because they'll get it from the beginning and that can make it all feel worthwhile. So I just want to say, Yaakov, I love your story. May you continue to inspire others, not just with your story, but with your music. And thank you for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Oh man, thank you so much for having me. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.